they've sensed it, they've seen it, they know it. In age, one of the problems for us is that we really don't know what revival is. Here's what's happened for the church. The church has enormous power. Uh, We have enormous resources, more than ever before, available to us. And because we have enormous power and resources available to us, uh, in a human sense, we depend upon those things. And we can make so much happen. You know, we, we can fill the church, we can pay the bills, we can uh, see souls saved, we can, we can do all kinds of things. And it's like we don't need revival. But the only thing is that the church always dies without revival. You can go back through history and you can look again and again at revivals that have church, touched the church. Touched this church, touched other churches, touched lives, touched nations touched areas, touched the world sometimes. And each time revival has happened, what it's done is it's lifted Christianity up again. Now, I don't know about the whole world, but I do know about the Western world at the moment. And as far as the Western world is concerned, we're in a low place right now. We're in a diminishing place. Somebody put it, to, put it like this. It's like <clears throat> in times of revival it's like the tide comes in and everything's awash in God. And at times like we're in now, the tide is very far out. And when the tide is very far out, all kinds of strange things start happening in the culture and in the church. We start thinking, you know, okay, well, this is it. This is what we got to work with. So we work with what we've got. And uh, we do all kinds of things and, and, and set ourselves up to achieve things and so on. But very often what we do is we, we lose ground. And what's happening is the tide's coming in. Now you say, how do you know the tide's coming in? Because everything I know about God tells me that the tide's coming back in again. God loves the people of this world. He sent his son to die on a cross so they might be saved. And it's impossible. It's impossible. The culture has rejected God and everything to do with them and decided they don't need him. In fact, they don't want his interference in their lives. The culture has decided to go its own way and do its own thing. And apart from revival, there really is no hope. But you see, God loves the world. God loves the world and he, and he wants to see people saved. And yes, we're grateful for the ones that he saves right now. And that's always exciting when God saves people. But what we need is we need a, a flourish. We need a rise. We need God to, uh, to, to, to manifest his power in a mighty way once again. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need. And that's what we need to depend upon God to do. Right? Look at Isaiah 64, verse 1 through 4. And I don't want to spend too much time talking tonight. Um, <clears throat> I do want to get a chance to come to prayer. Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 7 we're going to read. Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 7. That's a word of prayer. I'll comment on it as we go on. Then I'm going to make some uh, talk about revival, and then we'll be done. Father, would you bless us, Lord? Lord, we're looking to you for revival, and Lord, half the time we don't even know what we're looking for. 
Um, we're talking about something, Lord, and, and we don't know how you operate in it, Lord. We get confused about it. We get discouraged about it. <coughs> and, Lord, we neglect to pray about it because we're, we're just not sure. And, Lord, we're inclined to muddle on in what we've got and to, to, to fail to see the reality of the need uh, in our world, in our church, in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, would you help us? Blessed Spirit of the living God, there's never been a revival that uh, you weren't the author of. And uh, there's never even been a prayer meeting for revival, Lord, that was a true prayer meeting for revival that you weren't in and you weren't stirring and you weren't involved in. And, Lord, we're looking for you to stir us now and to work in our hearts. And, Lord, if you don't do the work, my word certainly won't do it. Oh, would you do it, Lord? Would you work in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Isaiah 64, verse 1 says that, Oh, that thou would rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, and that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. You know, there's a picture of revival there. Rending the heavens is the idea of God taking the heavens and just tearing them apart and coming down. And that's what people sense uh, in revival. Duncan Campbell's uh, <clears throat> definition of revival was simply this, when God comes. When God comes. Right? Now, God's always here in one sense. I mean, that, that's reality. It's a spiritual reality that God's always here. But when God comes in power so that we all know it, so that we all know it, so that we're touched by it and changed by it and lifted by it. See, it's all very easy for us most of the time uh, to, <clears throat> to, to have God in the background somewhere. But when revival happens, God's in the foreground in our hearts and in our minds. God changes us. And it's the manifest presence of God in your life. Moments in your life when you're walking and you sense, you sense the reality that God is there. And everything you're doing, you're kind of weighing it up because God is there. See, times like today, you can do a whole lot of things and you're just kind of doing them because, you know what? You're doing them because they're fun, because you want to do them. And you don't sense that God is there. When God is there, a lot of things you don't want to do. You don't want to risk them, if you want to put it that way. The presence of God. You, you can have revival in a church. You know, where a church, and we've, we've, we've experienced that. We've seen that, where God came down, and God did a work in hearts and lives, and we walked very softly. Because God was here. God was moving. God was doing things. It was exciting. It was one, And God did some things during that time that, you know, it's sad to this day. God changed lives. God changed things. In the year 2000, that stand to this day. There's still, the, still the reality of them there uh, in lives that were changed. He, he definitely moved the church forward. The church doubled in size. And, and, and we didn't do it. We didn't have a plan how to do it. God did it. God took and God, God did it. You, you can have revival in a nation uh, where nations are changed because God comes down. And you see that many times in history where, where nations are totally changed. And then you can have a worldwide wide revival. In 1904, uh, the Welsh revival, 1903-1904, the Welsh revival transformed Wales. But at the same time, across the world, there was revival after revival after revival breaking out. 
amazing days. Adam, Wales is the land of revival. I mean, I, I know your, your, your history is not revival, but you know what? You, you look around Wales and it's dotted with these little churches everywhere. A lot of them are, are, are not being used as churches anymore, but they, they happened in revival. People built those to house revival. Right? <clears throat> but <clears throat> revival, revival can affect the whole world. Now, <clears throat> let's think about where we're at today and what we need today. We have a culture that is embracing wickedness and, and at an incredible rate. You know, it's, it's embracing wickeds, uh, wickedness on steroids. It's, it's, it's embracing wickedness in, in ways that we never could have imagined even 10 or 15 years ago. You know, wrong has been made right, and um, those that want to do wrong are pushing their agenda and telling us, you know what, we've we got to fall in line with this. We've got, we got to fall in line with this, and we've got, we got to do this. I mean, God is definitely history. He's gone. He's been kicked to the curb. He's been removed from the picture. He's, he's history in the, in the situation now. We're, we're living in what they call a post-Christian culture, where we've passed by Christianity, and we've left it behind. And now um, people aren't interested in God. Right? And if you bring up God now, uh, all of a sudden you're the bad guy. You know, your food, and that's the culture that we live in today. And in that kind of a culture, people don't even care about their sin. They, they don't even recognize sin as being sin. You know, if you lived 50 years ago, certain things were sinful and you knew they were because everybody knew they were sinful and everybody knew they were wrong and everybody knew that you, that you would be in trouble with God. Even if, you, even if you weren't a religious person, you knew that you'd be in trouble with God if you did certain things. Not now. Today, those same things that were called sin are now fine, and you need to accept them, and you know, you're forced to accept them. And you see, now, that's, that's, that's tough for us, and we can bemoan our fate as far as that's concerned, but you know, it's a whole lot tougher for sinners. Because the person committing the sin is actually the one that's facing an eternity without God, and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. I mean... <clears throat> If you would think about it, you know, our, our, our modern culture, just from that perspective, is, is such a harsh culture. Because people can live in sin all their whole lives and not recognize there's any price to pay. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. There's a price to pay on sin, but, but they don't know it. Now, so what do we need to happen? Do we need a new campaign? Where we go out and we, we you know, we, we try and beat people over the head with the Bible on the streets. Will we go street preaching like Paul did? Well, they're not, they're not open to it. They're not listening to it. They, 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 they're not interested. So, so what do we do? Just say, well, that's the way it is and, and live with the situation and let everybody die and go to hell? Or do we come to the place where we recognize we need revival. By the way, <clears throat> the fact that we're recognizing a need is essential to us seeking revival. If we are prepared to ignore the need and say we're doing fine, which we're very likely to do, we're very likely to look at the world around us and say, you know what, <clears throat> that's the way it's always been, we're fine and we carry on as we are, then you, you, th 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 there's no heart for revival. 
And part of revival is always God giving his people a heart for revival. And we can get so, so just desensitized by the culture that we think, hey, you know what, that's just the way it's always been. But it's been like this before. But it's interesting that when it was like this before, there were usually people in the church who knew we need revival. Don't... <clears throat> Many of you have heard the stories of the Lewis revival from John Van Gelderen. Uh, great stories. <clears throat> but what was it that started those first few people, the Peggy and the Christine, praying for revival? What, what happened that made them, made, them, made them want revival? Well, the young people weren't bothered with church. Um, nobody was interested. The church attendance was dwindling. People were getting involved in all kinds of things, and, 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 and they started praying. Do you realize that there's, there are Peggy and Christines in every revival? There are people in every revival who come to the place where they say, we need God to do something. And there's a recognition, we can't do it. We're not able to do it. We can't make it happen. You know, we can't go out there and, and, you know, enforce the issue and make it happen. We need God to do something. We need God to come down. We need God to manifest uh, his presence. You know, the church will die apart from revival. That's just the reality. LifeGate will be a thing of, thing of the past, thing of history. The building will be sold someday, and, you know, they'll, they'll build apartments on it or whatever. And that's just what's going to happen. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But you know what? The only thing that stops that from happening is God moving. That's the only thing that stops it. The only thing that moves the church forward in any age is the Spirit of God working in revival. It's not the power of man to do it. God wants us to recognize that there's a desperate need. Now, <clears throat> let's continue on here. Uh, As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may, res- may tremble at thy presence. <clears throat> let me ask, this is a strange question, but let me ask, do you ever feel bad for God? Do you ever feel bad for God? He made it all. Okay, he made it all. He created it all. It's his air we breathe. It's his food we eat. Uh, It's his life that's in us. It's everything on this planet, not just for Christians, but for everybody. Everything he supplies. He's the creator. He's the maker of it all. And don't we live in a world that really wouldn't give him the time of day? Don't we live in a world that purposefully sets itself against God? Listen, It's probably wrong to say that you feel bad for God, but you know what? We ought to come to the place where there's a, a holy, righteous sense of, this is not right, God. You've got to do something. You've got to change this situation. Remember when David was facing, uh, when the armies of, of Israel were facing Goliath, and um, <clears throat> David comes on the scene, and the, and the, and the army goes out and looks at uh, Goliath, and they, they run away from Goliath for 40 days. They've done that. And David gets indignant. And when his brothers tackle him, he says, Is there not a cause? Who is this Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? Is there not a And there was a cause. There was a problem. There was an issue. And the issue was they were defying the armies of the living God. What they were doing is they were actually saying, There is no God. Uh, we're bigger than him. We can run. And, and David was indignant. And that's what motivated him to go out against the giant. And God won the battle that day. 
David said it before he ever went out. <clears throat> I'm going to take your head today because the battle is the Lord's. <clears throat> David won that. But you know what? There has to be in some of us an indignation that says, this is not right. This is not on. That the world should live like there's no God and think it's okay. And what we need in those moments is for, for, for God to stand up. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God will raise up a banner against them. And that's what we need. We need God to take and raise up a banner. He's God. Let, let me say this to you. God will be vindicated in the end. And every knee will bow in the end. Every knee will bow. But the problem is that for most people, it's going to be too late. If God would come now, if God would raise up a banner now, if God would push back at the enemy now, we could see a generation saved. We could. We could see a generation saved. You know, it's interesting in some of the stories of revival, uh, there was nobody left to get saved. They were all saved. Or there were just these oddballs that just wouldn't get saved, but everybody else was saved. Now, everybody doesn't get saved in revival. But the reality is that it was more common to get saved than it was not to get saved. We need God to come in power, right? Um, We need revival and we need God to do it. Now, let me give you quickly five things I've put down uh, as the spring of revival. And, and let me say this. There are things about revival that we don't know. There really are. There are things about revival that we don't know that we can't know. For instance, if you look at the history of revival, there are certain similarities and there are always differences. And the Spirit of God's not going to be bound to do what he did before. He's probably going to do something different. Because he's the Spirit of God and he's doing it, right? <clears throat> okay, so the spring of revival. First, first part of the spring of revival is this. God. Now, God is in revival from way before it begins all the way through. God is in revival. God is the author of revival. God is the one that wants revival. God is the one that seeks revival. God is the one that brings revival. God is the one that stirs the church to prayer for revival. God is the one that does the work in hearts and lives. And if you look at those LifeGate Bible Baptist churches as a church, and I, I do not want you to feel guilty about this because making you feel guilty won't be any help at all in this cause. Right? There was a time when we had four and five meetings a week for revival, prayer meetings a week for revival. And nobody had to be dragged. Didn't, you didn't have to be dragged. You didn't have to be forced to come. You know what? You wanted to be there. Now, why did you want to be there? Because God. God was on the move. Now, we can't duplicate that. We can have a prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting on a Wednesday evening for revival. We can have a prayer meeting, but we can't duplicate that. That's God working in the heart of his church, creating that passion, that heart for revival. We were praying for it. We were seeking And by the way, you can say, well, we didn't get it. Well, we did, but we didn't know it. But you know what was happening when we were praying? Lots of exciting things were happening. Souls were getting saved. God was doing his work. Things were marching forward when we were praying for revival. 
Now, now, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to guilt you into coming to a prayer meeting because it's going to be the deadest prayer meeting. <clears throat> right? No, there's no point in you coming because you're guilty. It has to be the Spirit of God stirring in our hearts to bring us to revival. What I'm trying to do tonight is I'm trying to put faith in our hearts to expect revival so that we would want to pray for revival. Right? <clears throat> but God is involved in revival. Uh, it's of him. There's a certain element of revival that it only comes when he says, when he's ready. <clears throat> right now, I think there's a, there's a, there's a game. Do you, you ever hear a child uh, when they're about to cry and <clears throat> they, they, they kind of suck in the breath and you hear that, you know, the breath's going in and you're kind of, you're kind of waiting for that moment when, uh, when the child is going to just burst loose and cry. Right now, I think that's what's happening as far as God is concerned, as far as revival is concerned. I think that God is holding it back right now. But I think there's a gully washer coming. I really do. I think there's a gully washer coming. I think God is going to do something uh, that will just amaze us. Because that's who he is. And he loves souls. And he wants to do something that will amaze us. But God is involved in it. He is always involved in it. Second thing I see is this in revival. Being willing to let the Holy Spirit do his work. The Holy Spirit's a real living being. He's a real living being with personality. He can be grieved. He can be hurt. And he lives in you. And we have to come to the place where we're willing to be used of him. Where we're willing to let him have his way in our lives. And we talked this morning about cleansing ourselves. Well, cleansing ourselves really is yielding to him and saying yes to him. But we need to let him cleanse us. Maybe that's what he's doing in your life right now. He wants to do some cleaning house. Maybe he's bringing you to the place where uh, he, he, he wants you to recognize him as God and let him have his way. Because there's never been a revival that the Holy Spirit wasn't central to. If you want to put it this way, he's the agent of revival. He's God on the ground doing the business. And he has to have his way. And I think we get all caught up in all kinds of things and we get all caught up in our own ideas and our own thoughts and in our own ways. And I think sometimes we squeeze him out. Isn't that what the Pharisees did? They squeezed Jesus out. Because they had a plan and they had a way and he wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't fit their plan and their way. When the Holy Spirit brings revival, he's going to do what he wants to do and we're going to say, yes, Lord. And when we say yes, Lord, when we let him, when we let him have his way, when we let him do his work, he's very good at doing it. But today we need to be yielded to him because we need to be in the place where we let him go. Now, <clears throat> number three would be people. Uh, a people who are willing to put away sin. People who are willing to say, no, I don't want that. I want thee more than I want this. Now, people who are willing to put away sin. People who are willing to whatever the Holy Spirit says to them, say, listen, Lord, just take it away. I don't want it. I don't want it in my life. I don't want anything that offends you in my life. I want you. And I want all there is to have of you. Then there needs to be a longing for two things. 
a longing for God's name to be vindicated. He is God. He owns this world. He sustains this world. He keeps everything alive in this world. It can't be that he's not given his rightful place. It just can't be. Lord, come down. Melt the mountains. Lord, come down. Do a great thing in our midst. Lord, show your face in our day and age. And then there needs to be a longing for souls to be saved. Have you noticed that? Because I've noticed it. The longing for souls is not there. The longing for souls to get saved. Oh, we're, 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 sure, we're happy when souls get saved. We're happy when the ones and twos get saved. But the longing's not there. That yearning after souls is not there. Let me read you about <clears throat> Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon saw revival in his ministry. Uh, in fact, he would, he, he, somebody said he was the first pastor of a megachurch. Uh, he had 5,000 people in his church uh, at one point, and um, uh, his congregation swelled from time to time up to 23,000 uh, in his church. And he, he ministered from 1854 to 1864. Um, <clears throat> he says this, he says, I remember when I have preached at different times in the country and sometimes here that my whole soul has agonized over men. Every nerve of my body has been strained and I could have wept my very being out of my eyes and carried my whole frame away in a flood of tears if I could but win souls. Now, that sounds awfully uncomfortable to me. And if you're like me, you want to shy away from feeling those feelings. But do you know, God puts those burdens in hearts. And then he does great things. And we've got to understand that if there's going to be revival... There's going to be a yearning for souls. There's going to be a crying over souls. There's going to be a weeping for God to vindicate his name and show his power. And a weeping for God to save souls. And we've got to let that, we've got to, rec- we've got to do business with God on that point. Now, I can't and you can't, <clears throat> you know, stage manage a passion for souls. That's something God has to do. But if God would do it in our hearts, you know, we'd we'd pray for revival. We'd be longing for revival because there's no way apart from that. And then the final thing is prayer. Now, I'm going to challenge you to prayer, and then we're going to go to prayer. So I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I'll give you the verse in a second. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Can you imagine? You're a leper. It's ruined your whole life. 
You're an outcast from your people. You can't see your family. You can't be with your loved ones. You're an outcast from society. And somehow, you're looking into the face of the one man on the whole earth that can change it. Because you've seen him. You've heard of him changing it for others. And here's this poor leper looking at the Lord Jesus and saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me whole. If you will, you can fix my problem. You can change my life. All you've got to do is will it. And look at what Jesus says to him. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. When it comes to praying for revival, I don't want to put a great burden on you that you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do the other. <clears throat> but you know what? If he will, he can change it all. I can't. You can't. No program can. If he will, he can change it all. If he will, he can turn the church upside down. We'll get right with God in areas we didn't even know were wrong. And we'll start praying because our hearts are touched and we want him to do something. He can change it. If he will, he can do a work in our hearts and in our lives and in Tala that will totally transform Tala. And that's what we need. If he will. So we're going to go to prayer tonight and we're going to say, Lord, if you will, you can change this. Lord, we can't. That means we're going to trust him. We're going to, we're going to recognize there's a need. This poor leper didn't, have, didn't need anyone to teach him there was a need. He knew there was a need. But he knew there was a solution to his need too. And tonight, we have a need. Our church has a need. Our nation has a need. Our world has a need. And if he will, he can change it. And let's come to him tonight and ask him to do something. I'm going to throw it open for prayer. And we'll stay as long as God is moving. If you need to go, you could go quietly during the meeting. I encourage you to stay for a while and see, uh, and be a part of this and cry out to God. But let's do this. It doesn't have to be long prayers. God's not looking for agonizingly long prayers from you. He's not looking for, for wonderfully eloquent prayers for, from you. He's looking for a faith that sees a need and knows he can fix it. Cry out to him tonight. Let's ask him to do work in our hearts and in our lives. And I'll close it and we'll have a final song then as, as, as we come to the end of it. I'm going to pray first and then I'm going to just throw it out. You pray as the Lord leads. Father in heaven, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge from the word. Oh, Lord, may we be the intercessors that we need to be. Blessed Spirit of the living God, there's a people who know nothing of you, nothing of your power, and nothing of your hand. Now, Lord, would you move in our midst tonight?
And Lord, would you stir us to prayer? Would you start something, Lord? Because, Lord, we can't start it. Would you start something? Would you move in our midst? Would you be mighty for us? And would you bring us into a passion for revival? And then, Lord, would you do that great thing? Would you save a multitude? Lord, if you will, if you will, Lord, you can do it. Would you do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.